Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery. Monday Distillery is a new age beverage company revolutionising the way we look at having a night out with friends. They make sophisticated, non-alcoholic beverages that are sugar-free and full of social graces. Now you can enjoy a good time, love what you drink and love yourself the next day too. Stay high in spirits, keep a clear mind. Cheers to Monday. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery. Monday Distillery are purveyors of beautiful non-alcoholic beverages. Live on your own terms, be true to you, and drink what's good for your body and soul. Gee, you were necking your heaps normal today. (laughs) You even drink them warm. I'm starting to wonder, is there a problem? (laughs) (laughs) i got a heaps normal problem. It's not a problem when there's nothing bad that comes of it. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a problem when it's not a problem. Yeah, it's not a problem when it's not a problem. Oh, yes, I do love me a heaps normal. You really do love them, don't you? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, they're really nice. It's a long time since I've had an alcoholic beer, but as far as I recall, you know, that's the closest taste to it just tastes like a really good beer and it doesn't make you triggered and it doesn't make me feel triggered one bit at all i know i don't want to drink alcohol for a myriad of reasons and my life is so much better without alcohol in my life but it's been a real epiphany to realize that i don't have to live a life without beer in my life Mm, mm, mm. (laughs) there's a difference between alcohol and beer yeah and you can do all the things that you love to do and still hang out with your mates and have a beer Mm. and it feels really normal just Mm. like you're yeah you're not Mm. missing out on anything yeah that's the thing probably 
I would have missed if I was a party guy. <laughs> I was a party guy when I drank, but when we stopped drinking, we didn't really party so much. But I would rock up to a party with heaps normal beers and it would be cool to just sip away at them. And it's really cool to have something that it's sort of like, I don't know, this feels like something ceremonial about drinking the same thing as other people are drinking, even if it's not alcoholic, to be having a beer, you know? I love it when people come over and I, I can't wait to like pull a heaps normal out of the fridge and go, try this, try this. Mm. And I love seeing their face because they're always quite shocked at how good it tastes. Mm. Yeah. And it's a bit of a novelty piece mm. at home, like to, for people to try these non-alcoholic beers and mm. they're always quite shocked. Yeah, it's good. I love it. Anyone wanting to try out some Heaps Normal and want some free shipping on that, just head over to heapsnormal.com and put in the code HIQA for How I Quit Alcohol in uppercase and receive yourself some free shipping. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi, and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm joined by Catherine Elliott from Melbourne. Catherine, how are you? Oh, I'm really well, Danny. So great to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you so much for coming on. So Catherine's coming onto the show today to talk about her journey with alcohol and your journey in general. You've been sober for over two years. You're a, a breast cancer survivor. You're a certified naked mind sobriety coach and also the founder of your own business, My Breast Friend. So we've got a lot to, to talk about. So yeah, thank you for coming on and sharing. Can you tell us about your journey with alcohol, where it started and where it took you? Yeah. So my journey with alcohol started, I think, where a lot of people's did, which is as as a teenager, so about the age of 13 or 14 was probably when I first started experimenting with alcohol. So I was a teenager growing up in Melbourne in the 1980s and I probably had my first, I guess, drunken experience when I was 14 with a, with a girlfriend. You know, we stole, stole some gin out of my parents' cupboard and you know, we were vomiting and not very well and it wasn't a great experience, didn't really like the taste, but it was one of those experiences that, you know, I pushed through and tried it again and again. And before long, I I guess I had developed what I would say was a binge drinking pattern. Uh, mm. When I was 16, 17, I'd really fallen into the cycle of it. I was a girl who had quite I guess a strong tolerance to alcohol compared to other girls and I was given a bit of a I guess a bit of a medal or a status from the boys that I was friends Mm -hmm. with I was able to you know hold my alcohol really well and I saw this as a real kind of you know a label of honor and so then my drinking kind of became part of my identity and I even you know I was given nicknames like you know, the fish and the camel, things like that, because I could hold hold my alcohol. And for mm-hmm. me at that point in time, it felt really good. I felt like I was doing something that was, yeah, pretty special. And mm-hmm. it was great that I, I wasn't, you know, vomiting after two drinks. And that was the thing. I never used to get really sick. Uh, I, I'd, I'd definitely get really drunk, but I never kind of vomited. 
And uh, in a way, I wish I did, because that would have been a good indication for my body to stop rather than to continue drinking until, you know, I I'd blacked out or, or passed out. Yeah. Yeah. God, I can. So I never had that label of being, a, being one. I, I think I wanted to be one of those people that could drink all the guys under the table that had friends that could. And it was like a badge of honor for those people that could do that. Wow. That's a strong label to have so early on. Yeah, absolutely. And it didn't, you know, it was funny because my uncle at the time was, um, he owned breweries as well and he was quite well known around Australia. And so there was that connection as well. And so there was just this whole persona created around my drinking. And I was, you know, I'd, I'd sort of see people and they'd often say to me, you know, if we'd been out for a night whatever oh you know you were up with the boys again drinking until whatever time I don't know how you do it and for whatever reason I just found that it made me feel like I had to continue to be that person as well it it really I've done a lot of work on it since I've stopped because there was a part of my identity that was really locked up in in what started in in those teenage years and that Mm. I grew into young adulthood and it wasn't until probably my early 30s that I really started to question my drinking a lot Mm. Uh, and there was just this real awareness that what was going on didn't feel right for me Uh, I had two two distinct quite different sides to who I was, I had one part of me that was very committed to healthy living and spiritual practices. So I was doing a lot of yoga. I was eating really healthily, doing lots of exercise. You know, I joined a women's circle. I was really um, into getting to the deeper layers of kind of my emotional existence, I guess. But I was still also committed to binge drinking. And they're just, it was, it was kind of like this balance was, was all out of whack and mm. that was a really painful time actually being in the awareness of knowing that you have an issue with alcohol but not being quite ready to do something about it so it's like you're stuck in this really uncomfortable situation of I don't want to stop I'd often tried a lot of you know moderate moderating tactics so right I'll only have you know one or two drinks or I won't drink white wine because I think that sends me loopy. Uh, I won't drink during the week, but I'll let myself have a few drinks on Friday night. So there were all of these conversations going on in my head constantly and it was actually pretty exhausting. Yeah, I so remember that incongruency that was starting to happen as I got older where I wanted to live a certain way. And that's just not what was happening for me. You know, I was binge drinking and waking up feeling like shit. And you're so right. It's such an uncomfortable place to be. That's something in you saying, hey, hello, something's not right here. My higher self is calling saying, I don't like this. I'm not comfortable with this anymore. That identity that we have and those labels that we have about ourselves, about alcohol, that's one of the biggest things, one of the biggest things we need to work on. You know, it's like change your identity, change yourself kind of thing. It's yeah. very hard to do it until you're ready to let go of that old identity. Exactly. And it absolutely has to come deep from within who you are and what you what what is right for you. I think 
it's not about what other people think you should do. It is really about your own choice with your relationship with alcohol. And that that's what I think is, is super important. It's very difficult when you've got other people who want you to do something or expect it, or you, know, you may have health issues where you think, right, I really should. But should often doesn't translate into uh, you know, lasting change. It's got to come from positive emotion in ourselves to know that actually the decision we're making is for the greater good of ourselves and that actually what we're doing is we're stepping into a much more positive, present. And what I would say for me has been, you know, the most exciting kind of life that I never knew existed. And, you know, I think growing up in Australia, it's really hard because binge drinking is literally so normalised everywhere. Whether you live in the city or the country, it is it is just, well, for me, where I, when I was growing up, it was just, it's what everyone did. So you did think it was pretty normalised. I mean, there were obviously different levels of binge drinking, but it was something that was celebrated. It was a rite of passage. It was what people did on weekends. And the problem is we didn't understand that alcohol is really addictive. And even as 14, 15, 16, 17-year-olds, if you're doing that every weekend, you actually then do have a passion that you take in. It's really hard to break once you go into um, adulthood. And I I realised that in myself, that it was a really difficult pattern to break. And the other thing is, is that because binge drinking is so normalised, you kind of think, well, I haven't hit a rock bottom. I'm, I'm pretty functional. I've got, you know, I, ne- I never really got massively bad hangovers either. So I'd always push through and go to work and, you know, I was probably mm. drunk, of course. But I, I would punish myself the next day by making myself adhere to all these rules of what the functional person would do. So that would be going to work, that would be exercising after having a massive night, you know, so I'd sweat it out. And so I was actually being really, really hard on myself as well. It was like, okay, this dirty little secret, if you're doing all this stuff, then you've actually got to pay yourself back by kind of giving yourself a hard time. So I'm so glad that I do not have that conversation going on anymore. It's, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, my God. I think as well for me, I know for me, I don't know about you or anyone else listening, but the more I had that feeling of I shouldn't be doing this, I should be this way, I reckon I was getting worse. Like I think I was drinking more and having bigger blackouts and I don't know, I think it was that push-pull in me, maybe this rebellious side of me wanting to go, no, fuck you, you know, you're not a yogi, you're a fucking trash bag party animal, you know. <laughs> I'll show you, glug, 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 you know? Yeah, gee, it was a real tug of war in between these two people. I agree. Like then you'd sort of go super hard on yourself the next day and punish yourself in a sense. All we need is some bloody love (laughs) to love ourselves and give ourselves a break. Self-love, I know, just need so much more of it. And and I guess that was a massive lesson that that I had to learn, which, which came through, you know, when I was diagnosed with breast cancer and it was, um, it was, you know, I, I guess I had decided to stop drinking before that, only a couple of months beforehand. And it was like, I feel like I almost had a bit of a, a download beforehand that, you know, my body and mind just really needed 
a break and that something big was coming that I needed to be in my best possible I guess you know healthy space for and so I stopped drinking on the 1st of July and I remember the last time I drank you know I was actually at home I was watching a football game Carlton and Fremantle and I literally drank I reckon a bottle and a half of Pinot Noir to myself and I was pretty I was pretty drunk and I was really emotional because the game was really close. And I actually remember I, was, I actually cried. I don't, it was just, and I felt really hazy and fuzzy. And I remember thinking, you know, I wonder if this is the last time I'll drink. I don't know. But I had this feeling that something was really going to change and shift in my life at that point. I woke up the next day and thought, okay. And I took, what I did was I just took the, the rules off. I said, I'm not making rules around stopping or starting I'm not going to say you have to do this. You have to do it forever. Just thought I'm actually going to commit to living life without alcohol and seeing how that feels, knowing that it could be really uncomfortable for a while, knowing that I was going to have to work through and sit in a lot of shit, which is what we all have to do. It it requires us to address emotional, uh, a whole lot of emotional stuff that we've been repressing for years and a lot of relationships in our past that maybe we never dealt with because we were drinking. So Mm. that felt like it was going to be a pretty rocky ride. And then Mm. I I guess I stopped and I felt, I felt good. I felt really different than I, I felt I'd tried to stop before and I had stopped for a month on, you know, month here and there. And this time it was just emotionally there was something different that was happening. Yeah. How how did you know, you know, how you said that you're watching the footy and that you're having, you know, you've had a bottle and a half and you were kind of already questioning perhaps this might be the last time. Mm. So obviously that was on your mind, was it, leading up to that? There was, were you feeling like you were wanting to get rid of it? Yeah, I'd made a commitment that I was going to stop on the 1st of July and do, because I normally did a dry July. Uh, Right. But this was different in that I had said, I'm not, I'm going to do it, but I'm not stopping at the, on the 30th or 30, you know, 31st of July. I actually want to keep it open-ended and see what happens. Why were you getting to the point that you were wanting to stop? So what was it other than that incongruency that was happening for you? What was going on for you when you were, so you are binge drinking, obviously. How was that playing out for you? Blackouts yeah, or? was... I think my blackouts were getting worse. Yeah. So mm-hmm. as I got older, I think I was probably even able to tolerate alcohol less than I had been in the past. And I think that's probably due to use over years. And so it wasn't every time I drank, but there were some really significant blackouts or really bad behavior that started to infiltrate and one of those was we'd been on holiday earlier that year with, you know, my husband and three sons and we'd been um, out with friends. We'd been over at their house and I'd had, you know, I'd shotgun about four or five cocktails and was feeling pretty, pretty good. And then I, what happened then is I literally completely blanked out like we were there at this family family kind of dinner and then I woke up 
the next morning and I had a really sore head and I, like really like like I'd hit my head and I had that absolute feeling that pit in my stomach thinking holy fuck what happened and I looked at my husband and he just looked at me and he said do you remember what happened last night and I just went uh no what happened and he said well I had to we basically we had to you know take you home you would like really legless and the boys were all there they were really worried about you and we're trying to get you up the stairs to get you home and you know you fell back because your weight was really heavy and hit your head and Mm. anyway so I just felt so ashamed and I just felt so worried that the kids had seen me in that type of state because they had never seen me like that before they'd seen me probably tipsy and drunk but not not like literally wiped out and so I took some deep breaths and I I started doing some journaling on that holiday because I just thought, why, why, why are you doing this to yourself? Why are you putting yourself in this position? Why are you? And I came, I came to the decision then that I really wanted to change. I really wanted to take alcohol out of my life. I wasn't ready to do it right then and there, but I, I remember making a commitment to myself that I knew that moderation wasn't working anymore. I knew that binging was just something that was going to probably continue whilst I continued to drink and I think even two years before that I had another episode at my brother's wedding where I behaved really badly I got again I got really drunk and I I said some really unkind words to my mum it was really inappropriate and Mm. just a whole I just wasn't presenting the person that I really am I had I was presenting a really kind of angry un you know unhinged person who um and then I and then I couldn't remember things as well so that's even harder when you are trying to I guess even apologize or connect with people afterwards and you really can't because you don't know what's happened and I hated that feeling um because I'm quite a controlled person so in many ways and so (laughs) It was like drinking was my was like my channel to lose control, whereas every other areas of my life were very controlled. Yeah, I guess it's letting yourself off the hook in a way, isn't it? It's giving yourself that reprieve to just let go, but then it becomes so dysfunctional. But I remember God, so many times of just getting that level of drunk or of being an asshole, you know, and then the next day just kind of shrugging it off or trying to justify it, even though I felt terribly guilty. You know, it's just the worst place to be. I remember once talking to my mum, I was saying, uh, I'd been really drunk. I said to her, oh, I just, I hate myself the next day and I embarrass myself. And she said, I'll just get up and act like it didn't happen, <laughs> which is her motto for life, which has caused me all sorts of grief. <laughs> but we won't go into that. <laughs> but, you know, and so I kind of started to do that for a while too, which really sucked because, you know, then you're being a bit of a, a dick. And then just acting like it didn't happen or you justifying it in your own head, you're making it okay. So, you know, it's just shit. It's just so shit. It it really is. I just don't miss that at all. I mean, that was the worst part. You know, I used to call it shame over. You know, it's the shame hangover put together. Like you just wake up and you're just there and you're just trying to piece together what happened. 
but you don't really want to ask too many questions because you're kind of hoping that maybe you were under the radar and no one really noticed how, you know, how fucked you really were. But yeah. then sometimes you'd hear little bits and pieces or someone go, oh, well, you all right. And then you'd start to find out that potentially you may have said or done something. Or the other thing that would happen to me is I'd lose things, like I'd lose earrings or something from my wallet and I'd have to try and, like, call the bar or whatever to try and find it. And it was just, it was it was exhausting because there was so much energy put into all of that as well. Like that's like oh, yeah. you haven't even have for other other passions, activities now in life is just beyond phenomenal. I know. I've got I've got a friend who um every time she gets pissed, she loses her wallet or her phone. And then she's got to try and explain it to her husband the next day what the wallet is. And then, you know, it's always this big schmozzle and trying to, you know, then replace the cards. And then, replace, and then the husband gives her guilt about it for a few weeks and there's always money lost. And, you know, it's just, it's just a shit show. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, so you, you're getting up to that point in July and you're thinking enough's enough. You know, there must have been some anxiousness around that about getting rid of the alcohol. What was your main concern if there was one? I guess the main concern for me was that we, you know, my husband and I had obviously always socialised with people who were all quite big drinkers. It's what you tend to do if you drink a lot. (laughs) And so I guess some of my concern was around just socialisation and how that would all be accepted. I wasn't so worried for myself because I... In myself, I have a really strong sense of who I am. So I was like, you know what, once I'd made the decision, I was actually really happy about it. I didn't really, I, I, I didn't have issues being out and not drinking. I actually quite liked that feeling of being, yeah, in control and present. But what I worried about was, you know, what's it going to be like? Are people not going to invite us to things? Are we going to have friends who don't really want to hang out with us anymore like what's it going to look like without us being um the big drinkers well uh, me in in particular and mind you my husband was still drinking and he was quite a big drinker as well and he's got his own story with alcohol that then became part of my kind of I guess like we've had a really interesting even navigating all of this as a couple has been really interesting because I stopped and then it really it, it really put a lot of pressure on our relationship in terms of what it was going to look like for the future, particularly when I was going through breast cancer as well. And he then, you know, hit his own sort of rock bottom and had to look at his own alcohol and other kind of, you know, drug issues. Alcohol was like a gateway to, you know, other drugs. And so we went through all of that. And now, you know, he's now 12 months, over 12 months. And he is, yeah, he's, you know, he's in such a great place as is our relationship. But I also had to be prepared to surrender and let that go. It wasn't his, my, it wasn't my, it wasn't, it, it wasn't my business to change his him or his relationship with alcohol it was only my responsibility to do that for my life so even when I made that the decision to stop drinking I guess part of me was like well you know is my marriage going to survive this as well because 
there's all of that going on too. That's such a great thing to talk about because I actually I get a few messages from people saying I want to quit but my husband doesn't want to and that's how we got together that's how we've always done what the hell is my relationship going to look like and it's I, I was lucky because Ash and I quit together at the same time and have stayed quit together at the same time but I imagine it would be really hard and I know even within yeah like I've got friends whose you know relationships are probably similar and they feel like if they took that away where does that leave the relationship? Yeah, look, I think it is really tricky, but you can only do do you and you have to, I guess, what I realised is I was the most, you know, I'm the most important person in my own life, so I have to take responsibility for what I want to do with alcohol and what in the past what I'd been doing with my husband as well is I'd often be shaming him about stuff that he was doing. And so I decided once I'd, you know, once it felt really good that I was stopping, that I wasn't going to start, I wasn't going to continue making, I guess, making comments to him, that I was just going to allow him to come to his own decision about where he was at and what was going on for him. And in doing that, we just started to have conversations about, it was also during COVID in a way when we were in lockdown. So we started to, you know, walk and talk about, what our future looks like but I think you know even through talking to you know some of my own clients who have these issues it is really tricky for for couples who have used alcohol as a connection for you know for socialization for sex for all sorts of things taking that away is really uncomfortable because often you have to look at emotions in the cold hard light of day and and deal with them yeah, uh, alcohol is often numbing a whole lot of stuff out or it's making us lose control so we can, you know, I guess be more free uh, in the bedroom or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so cyber sex is even another really interesting topic because a lot of people aren't even used to that, even, if, you know, in, in their marriages, if that's what they've been doing for all that, you know, period of time, maybe just when they're really off their face. Yeah, exactly. If the wife's giving up alcohol, for example, and then the husband isn't, it's also where that husband's losing his drinking buddy. Mm. So it's not just how you then perceive your husband and you might sort of look at them and they're still drinking and, you know, you want to go on this spiritual quest and change yourself and you want them to come along with you. But also then they're they're losing something as well. They're losing that connection that they had and it's pretty hard. Oh, they really are. I remember remember Paul saying to me, you know, he found it so hard because we used to, you know, have drink quite a bit just the two of us together we'd put our music on and we'd choose our favorite songs and it was very bonding in some ways it was the way we connected and so when that was taken away we what we did was we did try to replace it I guess with me having non-alcoholic drinks and things but it took some time to we had to find other ways to 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 connect and we had to do some quite a lot of work on our relationship Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. So we had quite a lot of counseling, which was really, really helpful because in a way I was making, it's a big, it, you know, I, I won't deny it, it's a massive lifestyle change. And you are swimming against the tide here in Australia. The mainstream is still very much, you know, it's just about drinking. And so once you step off, you are really in, you know, unless you're seeking out a lot of other people in the community who aren't, you know, aren't drinking, you are often a little bit isolated. Yeah. Um, but, I, yeah, I feel very lucky that I guess that he made the decision for his own life and also for our family and our marriage that mm-hmm. he wanted to be on the the, the journey of, of not drinking and seeing what life was like. And for him it, it has also been really, really incredible and, and opened up so much that he never expected was possible. Yeah, that's so great to hear. And I look, you know, like I said, I've got friends that they've said, you know, I would have no marriage if I stopped drinking. You know, you think, well, what does that say about your marriage, really? You know, and it's hard, but I get it as well, you know. Also, it, within that, if all the social circles, like you say, if everyone in the, in the friend group, if they're all big drinkers, it's so it's quite disruptive, I guess, to the, the relationship and everything that goes along with it. So it's a big change. But I think that's beautiful that your husband was able to even to go to counselling. I mean, that's incredible and, and really beautiful that he could explore that side. And, yeah, amazing. So tell me about when you, so you've been sober for a few months and then you find you've got cancer. What the fuck? You'd be like, universe, what the hell? Yeah. Oh, you know, I I take myself back to that day. You know, I know it so well. The twenty first of August, two thousand and nineteen. You know, I'm in. I'm sort of madly. I've been at the gym at five a.m. This is the old me who used to get herself up early and off to the gym and back home and doing everything. And I was rushing out of the shower to go to work, get ready for work. The kids were all downstairs with, with Paul, my husband, and. We just moved into this new house and I'd bought this massive like floor to wall mirror. And for some reason, I ran out of the bathroom. I picked up my earrings and I thought, I'm going to look at myself in the mirror. Like I had just had undies on. I thought I'm going to look at, and I looked at myself in the mirror. So I could just, it was, you know, I was naked apart from my undies. And it was then that I looked at my right breast and I saw this puckering of skin and what, looked like a lump and I immediately grabbed it and went holy shit and I can remember I tried to push it down and push it out and then I realized oh my gosh I had a huge lump in my right oh my god how big was it six centimeters and I was just I it it was like it had appeared out of nowhere and of course in that in that moment my heart just sank and I, I literally was lost for words and I felt sick. I screamed out to my husband. He came up and I said, feel this. And he's like, oh, my, yeah, oh, my gosh. Oh my God, and yeah. look, I guess I knew right then and there that it was something pretty serious. Yeah. I, I, I'm, and I'm not, I'm not a person who's a glass half empty, but 
I'd, I'd never had lumpy boobs. I'd never had a lump in my in my boob before. And um, anyway, I went straight to my GP and I was at the Melbourne Breast Unit pretty much the next day, had all the tests. And then, yeah, I got my diagnosis literally two days later, which was, you know, you learn so much about breast cancer, but there's many different types of breast cancer. And I had a type that was called triple positive. It was locally um, advanced which meant, meant it was a large lump, but it hadn't spread to my lymph nodes. So it was, it was just in my, in my right breast, but I sort of had to get onto treatment straight away because it was quite an aggressive type of cancer. And so, so I found it on a Wednesday. The following Tuesday, Tuesday, I was in the hospital having a port put into my arm. And the following Thursday, I was sitting in the big red chemo chair, having my first dose of 16 rounds of chemo. And like your life is literally, it just changes. You just, all of a sudden, what you thought your life was, you've kind of been kicked off that treadmill and you're on this other one that you never expected to to be on. And you're in shock, you're in trauma. You've got to communicate all this stuff to so many people in your life. And you're literally gasping for air. And I just remember waking up on the mornings before I started chemo thinking it was like I was jet lagged and I was in someone else's life. It was so weird. I'm like, this isn't me. Kath Elliott with cancer. No, I'm not that person. I'm really fit and healthy. I'm only 46. There's no family history. What's going on here? I still look at, look at it now and think I can't believe I've actually lived through all of that now. It, it still seems like I have been able to compartmentalise it a bit. But what became really apparent to me was I'm, I'm someone who's an avid reader and I wanted a lot of knowledge. So I started like reading all sorts of stuff about breast cancer and it became pretty evident that there is a strong link between uh, alcohol consumption and breast cancer, particularly binge yeah. drinking. Yeah. So you know what? I know this sounds really weird, but that actually gave me a lot of comfort <laughs> because I thought there's you a know reason. What? There's a re- maybe there is. I, I don't 100% know for sure. But what was fantastic was that I wasn't drinking anymore. I'd taken out a massive lifestyle factor that is, you know, a, a, it could have caused breast cancer. And so it was kind of quite empowering. And I thought, you know what? A few people said to me, oh, how traumatic. You know, you've got to have a drink. You just need to let your hair down. Um, but I was I was fairly, uh, you know, I didn't really think about drinking. I felt I was very committed to being as, I guess, you know, showing my body as much love and respect from a healthy sort of perspective as I could. And I was very much in a, a mentality of mindset and being positive was going to really help me um, get through the year and a half worth of treatment that I needed to. And I saw myself as a, you know, a really healthy woman who had breast cancer, not someone who was sick with breast cancer. And I made it very clear to everyone around me that I needed them to use language that was empowering and positive and not language that was putting me in that box. I just, it didn't work for me. And so that was how I 
how I want it, how I wanted it. So wow, what yeah. a great mindset. It sounds like the universe just lined everything up. The fact that you'd stopped drinking before, that you're already in that kind of that mindset of getting yourself well, even before you'd even got the can- the breast cancer. And then, you know, you just learn so much. And that the fact that you stopped in the mirror that day and thought to have a look at you, I mean, that's an angel on your shoulder because someone's, you know, looking out for you. My sister yeah. is a breast cancer survivor yeah. and my sister, Natalie, and she dreamt in the night that she found a lump on her breast and woke up and went straight for it, hand boom, straight onto it. And it felt like a little pee. I remember asking if I could feel it the night before she had her breast off. Felt like this really weird little pee. But um, it just incredible how her body, she just went straight for it and, you know, and then hers the same, an estrogen-based cancer, which I hope she doesn't mind me sharing. And I remember celebrating with her, I think it was either the end of her chemo or when she got the all clear, we got fucking smashed on Prosecco. And, you know, because I wasn't, I was still drinking then and also scared shitless something was going to happen to her. And we drank, you know, we drank through that, even though... She, you know, it was sort of not good for her cancer, mm. you know, most likely may have contributed to it. I'm not sure. And I still worry about her drinking now. I think, oh, don't, don't. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, everyone's on their own journey. And, and But she's she's well and she's great, thank God. So she's, oh, good. she's in a great place, So which is awesome. But, yeah, so, wow, that's just such a huge journey and good yeah. on you for staying sober through that. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what, it was. it's been... Being sober through it has been, I guess, I looked at it almost like I had not been through any major trauma in my life before without drinking and this was, you know, pretty much the biggest one. Not that I haven't had other things, you know, like other things that I've had to deal with in my life, but this personally, you know, when you've got a threat to your own life at the age of 46, you just don't know what's going to happen. And so for me, I thought if I can navigate through this without drinking I can really navigate any situation in life yes because it was also forcing me to feel everything like feel what was going on so not only had I stopped drinking and there was stuff coming up but I was also you know questioning the meaning of life and my own life because I didn't know what was going to happen and so I started looking back over so much in my life, you know, friendships, relationships, things that had happened. And it was here that I also had this perspective on the role of alcohol in my life as well and Mm. the damage that it it had actually caused. And I hadn't even been aware of it in other, you know, in previous relationships, some of my behaviour, some of the things that I'd done, I hadn't really connected the dots And I think I'd raced away from a lot of this stuff and hadn't even thought about, I hadn't grieved people, I hadn't grieved relationships, I hadn't even grieved old parts of myself. I'd just run away from things. And so it was so confronting because I was going through breast cancer and then all these other emotions were coming up from the past as well. So I was a pretty much, uh, and we were going through COVID as well. We were in lockdown, so I, I I didn't even have the routine of life really to distract me. So there was so it was, it's just been like an incredible time in history. But I'm actually very grateful to it because it has forced me to just go through all the layers and all the layers of of emotion. And it's um, 
some of it has been really painful though you know I have I have lost a couple of really close people in my life who were super you know super close friends who are not who aren't you know I guess nearly as close uh, as they used to be and I was talking to a friend the other day saying that you know not much gets spoken about you know heartbreak of a, a you know a same-sex friendship I guess um, and I guess for me, I've you know I've also been experiencing that in the last six yeah. or months as well. Yeah, that's something that's definitely a factor. These friendships that you've had that were based around drinking that suddenly have changed, and that's a really big thing to deal with. It's quite hurtful at first, and then you kind of I think as time goes on, you you accept it and realize that they're on their own journey, and I'm on mine. But it, it's it's definitely it hits a spot for sure because it. I think a lot of us binge drinkers. A lot of us are people pleasers and so it's that it's that part in us that kind of wants to, you know, everyone to like us and, you know, keep everyone happy. And so why don't they like me? You know, and it brings up stuff for us. It's hard. Good point. Because I've realised there is a real people pleaser in me. And even I got invited to go to something yesterday, like yesterday it came up on my phone and it's like a, you know, it's a ladies lunch drinking, da, da, da. I don't want to go. But there was a part of me that thought, oh, you know, you should go. That people pleaser who wants to make people happy. I, I, I'm not going because I have made, you know, I've made a commitment to my boundaries and things. But it was just inter- interesting naturally what came up for me and it is that people pleaser. And yeah, I, I am also a really sensitive person as well and I take on board other people's emotional where they're at as well. And so I'm really learning to yeah distance myself and it you know realize it's actually not about me (laughs) yeah 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 and just taking that pause and especially um before jumping in you know and when you start to create boundaries you know just just pause for a moment particularly if you are the people pleasing types pause think about it before you get back with the response and, and really feel into your body what do I really want here right now and if it's coming up with this tension and constriction it's usually no it's a no and you got to get sort of friends with the word no or no thank you perhaps yes. yeah yeah I, I I like that yeah I mean no is a very powerful it's it's powerful if that it, it's all I, we have this um I have a couple of girlfriends and we have this you know it has to be a hell yes it's not just a yes I should it's like you know a, a, a wholehearted yes to something and so I do now close my eyes and just check in with myself rather than yes. just agreeing to do things so it's um, and I guess it, it it's also about being a lot more. Uh, I'm a lot more discerning about how I where I choose to put my energy in my life now because yeah, it's yeah. so important to me. Yeah, that's a very common thing I find with people that have been on this podcast that we're all quite selective about yeah where the energy goes, who we spend our time with because we've worked damn fucking hard to get where we are, and it's precious. We're precious. We realize how precious we really are on this journey particularly someone who's gone through something like what you've gone through and you know what you did and what you went through and how you showed up for yourself is just so beautiful it takes guts you know to go through what you went through and to real warrior woman style thing you know to just show up and you know. yeah I really appreciate that yeah it 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 feel it, I feel like it has been really traumatic and really transformational like it has absolutely changed changed my life in wow, that's really all, yeah traumatic all, and transformational yeah, all positive like it, it has been I was you know reflecting back on it 
like even last week and just thinking, you know, even these two businesses that I'm working in, they're all, they've all come through my experience with, with, with breast cancer, really. And my commitment to living an alcohol-free life. And now I've made, you know, so many friends through my, you know, alcohol-free coaching. And that whole world has been such a, you know, a beautiful space of comfort and growth for me as well, because we all have this, a lot of similarities in, in what we're going through. And then developing my breast friend, you know, I'm so passionate about, you know, women taking time, as you said, pause, breathe, check in with yourself and, and check your breasts. Like it's really, mm. I didn't have a regular breast self-check and it's super important that we all know our own. It's not up to someone else. It's not up to just going to the doctor every six months. It's actually up to us to be doing our own self-check in the shower, you know, a couple of times mm. a month and knowing you know what our what our breasts feel like so yeah um, yeah it's been it, it, it's felt like it, it feels like you know I, I've, it's the start of like a whole new whole new chapter now for me um mm. and I never I don't take anything for granted anymore like I wake up I've got this whole I guess I wake up every day now and I'm so amazed by just the ordinary normal stuff in life that I never was so it's just it, it's I, I kind of say it's like the magic in everyday moments it, it is so present it is there and I really feel it because of the cancer experience I wouldn't have been in that in that kind of presence if I hadn't been through it I would have still been you know the rushing mad you know they call it the rushing woman syndrome that was a bit of me but I'm not like that anymore mm. at all so yeah it's so good it's once we get to know ourselves on that fundamental level everything changes and we get to really know what feels right for us and which way we want to go and like you say like checking in and it changes everything once we take the alcohol out you can start to really it's a word just to really connect with yourself yeah it's that reconnection with yourself that you get from sobriety that I think's priceless you know that's yeah that's so true Danny it is it's the real it's the reconnection with yourself and also just the love of yourself as well like I really found a yeah a self-love through my cancer experience and through giving up alcohol mm-hmm. that has allowed me to create so much more now in my life and feel grounded in in a sense of grounded in power that I never knew that I had and it's not power as in it's just this beautiful kind of I've got my own back you know I I know I'm on the right path I make the right decisions for myself I don't feel I don't doubt myself anymore I don't you know like I'll if I want to do something I'll do it and I and if someone says no I don't take it personally I just sort of move on to the next the next thing and I almost feel like you know you create your own life you, you, we have so much more power than as humans than we think we do. Like, you know, you don't just sit as a passenger. If you just continue to step forward and create, there's just so much out there. And that's, that's why I'm so excited now about my life because I just know the world's my oyster and I can just create whatever I really, whatever I want to for the greater mm. good. And even just being more of service mm. in life for me has been another thing. You know, giving back to the cancer community, volunteering in that community as a peer-to-peer support you know, volunteer is so important. So it feels like what I'm doing now is it, it, it just feels really much better in my heart than the previous way I was living. 
Yeah, yeah. I'd love to see a bit more education around alcohol and breast cancer. Yeah. More awareness. Yeah, around that. So tell me about my breast friend. Yeah. So my breast friend is um so it's a business I launched literally a week or two ago. Um and Oh wow, um, congratulations. That's thank you. Lovely. Yeah, so yeah. Just a just small online business that when I was sitting in the in the chemo chair thinking about my own experience and I'd started talking to friends about, you know, having their their mammograms and whether or not they did self-checks and all that sort of thing. And it was really interesting to me. Hardly anyone that I spoke to was in any sort of regular self-checking, I guess, routine. So I just started thinking to myself, I wonder why, you know, I really... Anyway, I then started toying with the idea of, what what would what would be a reminder, or how could you sort of get someone to sort of in their normal routine? And so then I started to think about you know well maybe body lotions and body washes that are already in your bathroom as part of your shower routine could be a really good reminder. And then I sort of thought well the name my breast friend I really liked that. Um, and then what I so what I've done is I've created you know th- I've created th- six products they're body lotions and body washes and they've got self-check instructions on the back so which basically you know says you know take the time to pause and breathe the shower's a great place for that know that checking in with yourself and listening to your body is loving empowering and vital and then you know you don't need to be an expert to check your breasts place the lotion so it goes on and just gives you some simple steps on how to how to self-check And I kind of thought, you know what, I think I've landed on something here because I think we all have showers, we all go into a bathroom and body lotion and body wash, if they're there, and the name of the product, it may just remind you to get into a routine a bit more often. Mm, So true. Yeah, and I've I've also um, I'm also supporting the Breast Cancer Network of Australia by you know donating proceeds of the sales of the product back back to the breast cancer community, which is also really important to me too. That's beautiful, and that uh, coming up to Christmas too, I think that'd be great gifts. So if people listening wanted to purchase or support your business, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, sure. So the website is mybreastfriend.net. Or you can go onto my Instagram page, which is at my breast friend AUS, and there's a link there to uh, the, to the website where you can just yeah purchase the products online. That's gorgeous. And if you send, I'll put it all in the show notes as well. Yeah. If you send through the information of that, and also about your alcohol your sobriety coaching yeah. business. So you went and did the Naked Mind through Annie Grace, the coaching. Yeah, yeah I did. So I did that. Um, so I was certified in August this year. So I did it pretty much for six months, March through to August. Mm-hmm. And um, so my my um, alcohol coaching business is called the Alcohol Mindset Coach. Yeah. So I started in in August uh, coaching, and I've had you know I've had four or five clients already, which has been amazing. I just awesome. signed my first US client yesterday. Oh, that's great! Congratulations. Exciting and. Um, yeah, so I specialise with binge drinking um, and also I am really keen to branch out also into a, a bit more of a niche which is binge drinking or people who've been worried about their drinking and have also had breast cancer and are looking to change their drinking behaviour 
maybe once they've been through treatment because I think it can be a really empowering decision to make for your health moving forward. Wow, that's really great. That's really, really great. That's super powerful. I'm going to send my sister your way. <laughs> She'll kill me for saying that. Love you, Nat. Um, no, that's gorgeous. Um, that's so wonderful. I just think it's so beautiful. And what springs out of these things, you know, out of this trauma and this big changes and these transformations are just so amazing. And that will help you help other people in, in so many different ways. And well, I like, I love doing the coaching thing as well. And I love it. And I love where it's taking me and the, you know, and all the learning and the friendships. That's one thing, like you fall in love with the people that you coach, you know, they become like precious friends as well. And, you know, you go through such a journey together. It's really beautiful. And I love it so much. I love the connection. I love it all. And you know, to see people change and transform is also incredible. And if you could go and help people as well that have, yeah, like you say, gone through breast cancer and like that's such a big journey. And it's really hard. Like I said, with my sister, we were all celebrating by getting pissed. Mm. You know, if if we could, if there could be more, perhaps more, I'd love to talk more about this um, once you get that up and running, because if there could be more education around how can we celebrate and help support our you know, other women that are going through this, but maybe without smashing ourselves and being hard on our bodies, but by supporting our bodies, doing beautiful things for ourselves rather than, you know. Oh, absolutely. And and that's the issue is that, you know, even some of the breast cancer organisations, they promote alcohol through their, you know, their fundraising and those sorts of things. So there's a long way to go. Um, Yeah. There's an amazing campaign that's being run out of, um, California or America at the moment called Drink Less for Your Breasts. Have a have a look at oh, it. Wow. Really cool. Can you send me links to that for the show I'll notes? A link, yeah. So um, I am I'm trying to advocate and uh, I'm trying to talk to. I'm just going to keep trying because I want I want a specific campaign around alcohol and breast cancer to be launched in Australia, not just alcohol and seven other cancers. Alcohol and breast cancer. It's the leading cancer. Um, in in the world basically for women so I, I really think we, we need to do, we need to get on the front foot here in this country and and generate more public awareness around it oh, wow yeah I'd love to support you in any way possible with that for sure that's just brilliant and it's making me quite emotional just because of what my sister went through so just in, just in case I've got this wrong but to my understanding and to what I've read that you, the excessive amounts of alcohol leads to a spike in the cortisol Cortisol is a stress hormone, which then activates a whole lot of estrogen, and the estrogen buildup can cause breast cancer in the, yeah. in the breast okay. tissue. Is that correct? Yeah. So alcohol increases circulating estrogen in our in our system. Full stop. And so yeah, if you've had estrogen driven breast cancer, that could easily be if you're if you're drinking a lot of alcohol, either binging or habitually, then your the increased estrogen in your bloodstream is happening all of the time which can then lead to cancer growth yeah for sure even at this age like so I'm 44 and last year I had um, a a spike in estrogen and it came through like I was got really depressed and really down and I didn't know what the hell was wrong with me because I'm like coaching people and doing all the stuff and I went to this brilliant doctor we've got here and I was like oh my god I don't know what's wrong and then we did all these tests and it was 
like a, a wee test basically um, called the Dutch test and it turned out I had the Dutch test. Yeah, sky high levels of estrogen. Anyway, we talked about that and he said that it's really common for women in their 40s to either go on antidepressants yeah. or to develop breast cancer and it's usually not, It's it, what it usually is happening is it's a spike in estrogen. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really passionate about finding out more, as much information, getting it out there into the public domain. I think we it, it's best that we know we know this. I mean, even three alcoholic drinks per week can increase your risk of breast cancer by fifteen percent. That what? is, wow. Yep. So, yeah. wow, that's just incredible. Yes, yeah. you know, just one thing for people listening. You know, if you're if you've got a girlfriend that you're supporting through breast cancer, don't go buy a bottle of champagne. Go buy us some beautiful teas. Go to the my best friend runs a tea tea shop in Castlemaine, the tea dispensary in Castlemaine, whatever. Go anywhere, get those, or go to your website to um, my breast friend. Exactly. And, you know, there's all these beautiful gifts we can get women to support them that doesn't have to contribute to what may have got them there in the first place or just punishing their body even more. Their body needs love and support and nurturing. It does. It does. And really it's just kind words and hugs of and support that that you need absolutely kath elliott thank you so much and thank you for everything that you're doing and just the the fact that you went through what you did in such a brave way and it's just a testament to the fact that you know we can do this stuff like glennon doyle we can do hard things and you've got no idea what you're capable of it's so true danny thank you so much for having me i've loved our chat and um Yeah, it's, we can do hard things. We all do hard things and it's amazing what comes from doing hard things and, you know, giving up alcohol or, or choosing an alcohol-free life is a hard thing but on the other side of that hard thing is so much joy and freedom and, yeah, a life you never knew was possible. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you so much. We'll Thanks. catch up soon. Yeah, see you, Danny. Bye. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do 
not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.